Folks, it's absolutely October time, and we all know what that means. We need to get our costumes ready for the night we're allowed to go door-to-door picking up the Butterfingers. Well, instead of spending a whole day trying on sexy Ken Bone costumes in store, why not go to CostumesForLess.com? CostumesForLess.com is a leading online retailer of Halloween costumes and accessories, drama and theme party costumes, lingerie and sexy wear, shoes and party and wedding supplies that's right they absolutely have shoes if you're looking for converses nikes adidas go to costumesforless.com their mission is to offer you the most pleasant online shopping experience by providing the widest selection of products at the best possible prices via our easy to use full featured and secure website that's right it's secure it's no equal facts let's just say that you're not going to get your information stolen by an absolute ghoul Get your Halloween costume today and get free shipping on your order by going to BoardWalkAudio.com slash costumes. That's BoardWalkAudio.com slash costumes. This is a BoardWalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson, and we've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Support Our Artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Nick Rutherford from SNL, Dream Corps LLC, and my favorite sketch group of all time, Good Neighbor. I remember watching them uh, in high school when I was in like 2008 and just loving their stuff, and it's been... Uh, crazy to see them get so successful. In a couple weeks, I'll have a few more SNL guests, but Nick is the first one, and he does a great job of explaining the weird SNL process for writers. So here is Nick Rutherford. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Alan. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from uh, Thousand Oaks, California, which is about an hour north of here. Okay. Yeah, it's like a, it's a suburb, I guess. Yeah, were you doing a lot of uh, comedy stuff over there? I did a lot of community theater growing up. Uh, I was actually a child actor for a, a, a oh, minute. Wow. Yeah, been, I did a commercial. I did my first commercial when I was three years old, and then continued working until I, I entered high school, and then I said I'm not auditioning anymore and just got really, really into show choir. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I got into like high school, but part of that was show choir and, and like theater in high school. Oh wow! Yeah. What's like the biggest commercial you did? Oh, uh, as a kid? Yeah. Um, I was in this Sprite commercial that was like filmed on the Sony lot, and I was like this little kid walking my dog through the snow. It was all fake snow, <laughs> and there was like a sad snowman. And so I went up to him and, like, made a happy face with all the groceries that I was taking home to my mom, I guess. I like to paint a narrative that my mom was a widow, <laughs> and I, as an eight-year-old boy, was supporting her. <laughs> None of this is in the commercial. <laughs> uh, so I build, like, a, a smiley face on the snowman and then step aside and say, you still look sad. And then I take a Sprite out of my bag of groceries and put it in its hand, and I walk away with my dog, and then you hear, like, a... And I turn around, and the snowman is now holding the sprite can out, okay. and like with a huge smile on his face. Uh, and it aired for like years and years, and they used to play it before like movies and theaters and stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, and they kept popping up. It's really a terrifying commercial when you think about it. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. Yeah, do you, do you get residuals from that still? 
I don't think so. I don't think you get uh, residuals for maybe for yeah. I'm sure for a time, but it's stopped airing. Now it's oh, you yeah. know. I'm sure like you could shoot something on your phone and it would look better now. Yeah. yeah. So you were doing uh, community theater and like uh, were you doing like, high school theater too or? Yeah, I did a lot of high school theater and and uh, then went into college and did theater in college and started writing in college and yeah. Well, were were you into comedy back then uh, as a little kid? I wanted to be the <clears throat> the youngest kid to own a comedy club <laughs> okay. for a minute. Actually, it started I wanted to own my own casino and hotel <laughs> in Vegas. When you were a little kid, you wanted that? Yeah, I don't know why. It just was. We, me and my siblings had like a huge Lego set uh-huh. that we would just build on. So I had, like ran the back lot. I ran like the studio oh, okay. and then a casino. Well, there was a casino <laughs> night at the studio. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I thought was the the pinnacle of success. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess I mean I think everybody's into comedy growing up. Yeah. yeah. What, 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 what did you like watch back then? God. Um. What did I watch back then? What was the funniest thing? I watched a lot of Disney Afternoon growing up. A lot of like okay. you know Ducktales. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Darkwing Duck, anything with duck in the title. What was, what was the other one? Oh, uh, Rescue Rangers is great. In terms of like comedies, I was I watched a lot of Married with Children. Okay. Yeah, like I remember getting turned on to like television. I remember the concept of seeing a show. I, it was Full House. I know I must have been really young, and I remember seeing it. And my parents explaining like, "Oh yeah, this is just." 30 minutes of it but it's like an ongoing story and I was like so every week we get to revisit this family it was like it blew me away <laughs> so that was a lot of TGIF Family yeah. Matters yeah uh, <laughs> Step by Step you know all the classics mm-hmm. uh, so when you were looking at colleges did you know you wanted to do like theater yeah I knew I wanted to uh, write and act and everything that came along with that so I really only applied to UCLA, a couple schools, UCLA, Pepperdine, and USC. And then a bu- uh, maybe Santa Barbara, a bunch of other, but mostly I knew I wanted to stay in and around LA and uh, ended up going to USC and taking theater there, which was fine. And uh, <laughs> writing like a cinema writing minor, mm-hmm. which was fun. Uh and then that's where you did you did like the sketch group there, right? Yeah. So my first year, I teamed up with Beck and Kyle uh, to do Comedus Interruptus. The three of us got into like their improv group, like the campus improv group, um, and we became very fast friends. And Kyle had this buddy, Dave McCary, who was going to film school up north. So the four of us just started making videos as often as we could and Dave it was kind of the perfect storm because the, Dave had no interest in being in front of the camera just wanted to shoot edit and direct everything and the three of us just wanted to goof around in front of the camera mm-hmm. so you know we would one of us would hold a boom mic as they we filmed one of us and then flip it around and reverse it and it, was, it worked out quite well but um, we met in that troupe uh, I graduated I had transferred into USC from a junior college so I graduated a year earlier than those guys moved to New York and just started doing stand-up um, and then when they graduated we decided to do to really go for it and uh, you know our influence was Lonely Island at the time mm-hmm. just because they had come from like internet you know comedy group to SNL so we're like I bet we could do that and we started making 
more videos and we set up this little tour and we formed a good neighbor and uh, then just kept grinding for another 10 years, <laughs> 12 years, whatever it was. So when you're, so when you guys first met and you're part of that group, were you doing like, you were doing like live stuff with, with that Commutus Interruptus group and then you're on your own, you're doing videos or are you doing videos for that group too? Well, we, we would do um, a live improv show every week. It was probably about one or two shows a week that we had to do because we do things for incoming classes and freshmen, like orientation and stuff. Um, but twice a year they had a sketch show that was like an hour and a half or something. It was always like sold out in this big event. So that kind of got us all into writing sketches. So for the sketch show, I think we started, I don't know if it was the first one or I don't know what sketch show it was, but we started writing videos for it and making videos for it. So it was always under Comedus, but it was almost exclusively like the three of us in the videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we would just premiere them at the show. Yeah. Would, would you say those like early videos were they like uh, like not if they were good or bad or not but were they like the same like style that you guys ended up like doing that everyone knows I feel like similarly the same style I mean I think pretty early on we all had similar sensibilities and kind of dialed it in I'm sure they strayed like there are some weird outlier videos mm-hmm. that aren't our style whatsoever I mean there's always some whimsy and like weirdness to them but yeah I don't think I don't think we strayed I'm trying to even think of like early early videos some were we, some were really short I guess there's some weird ones like we had one called Kitchen Kitties I don't even know if that's online mm-hmm. that was the, our upstairs neighbor had a cat gave like birth to kittens and they couldn't keep them or they couldn't like even keep them in the house so they tricked us into like holding on to them it was great because we had like seven really adorable kittens around. Oh, yeah. But then we all got fleas and it was bad. Uh, <laughs> but we had like just a messy kitchen and we just put the kittens in it and filmed them. And it was like a commercial for kit- kitchen kitties. Yeah. The, the idea being that they cleaned the kitchen. I don't know. Doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, how much our style changed. Yeah. I think it's always evolving. So you take, you know, each each individual piece just becomes part of the whole. So it's hard to really say oh, this is our White Album period, and this is our, you know... Right. It's just kind of always was changing together. So you said you're, you're making videos uh, because partly because of the Lonely Island? Yeah, I mean, we just kind of like their trajectory. Yeah. Or they... I feel, and I'm sure there's other groups that did it as well, but to us, they were... We loved what they were doing, and they had the most... I, I don't know, obvious path you know it was like they just made these things on channel 101 and then they made these little series that like kept on doing better and better and then they would always make music videos and then the next thing you know they were like the guys on snl yeah so that to us seemed doable Mm -hmm. or at the very least you know making a bunch of videos online then became a viable option for a career you know yeah and during that time sorry during that time we started working for like maker studios and there are all these like YouTube like production companies were popping up and a lot of them would kind of encourage this personality based or personality driven comedy, which is like vlogging. And, you know, they were like really were pushing us to like do a daily vlog and like have individual channels, which I'm glad we did ultimately make individual channels, but they just kind of were really, you know, doing the YouTube thing, and none of us were like into that at all. Mm-hmm. We like, 
I'm, none of us fell for that. <laughs> we just were like, no, we're just going to put out a video when we think we have a good one, and that's it. And I'm really glad we stuck with that. Not to say that people who do that are wrong, but I still don't think that's in our personality at all. Mm-hmm. You know, we were very, I don't even want to say secretive, but just closed off. We didn't interact a lot with fans. We didn't, you know, there's barely even like a title slug on our videos. That we'd, I feel like, I'm sure we did a few times, but <clears throat> we rarely, rarely at the end of a video, like the three of us are standing in front of the camera saying like, hey guys, if you like that video, <laughs> click that, you know, we just like, we were like, let it float it out there and let people find it if they can. Yeah, it's interesting because I think if someone, like today, if someone was making like a YouTube channel, they'd say, like, pick a day and then like have your videos come out once a week. Yeah. And like share them everywhere and like interact with fans and stuff. So it's interesting you guys didn't do that because you guys just really let like the, the quality of the videos kind of just like propel you guys. Yeah, I think, who's to say what level of success we'd be at if if we did push it and promote it and like work with other youtubers and really try to like build a network but either we got lucky or enough people just shared it i also think there is just something kind of i don't know more at least to me more appealing about like oh my god you haven't heard of you know the the funny face crew and you're like who's the funny face crew and i'm like you gotta watch it there's something that's really nice about that versus like you know Ha, 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 ha. It's the funny face crew. Subscribe every right. video. You know, new videos too. Like that shit doesn't appeal to me at all. There's more discovery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and then you take. You, I feel like um, really quickly on, really early on, we had very hardcore fans. I think people take ownership of it because they feel like I found this. You know, like the co- most common thing people will say, like if I'm on the road or we run into people, is like people who've seen the videos are always like, dude, I found your videos like 15 years ago, 10 years or whatever it was. And like, I showed all my friends, like everybody we talk to has that same story of like, I opened my friend's eyes to this. It's really cool. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's a, it wasn't calculated, but it worked out that way that it, I think people take ownership over it. Uh, so as a as a group, what was like the writing process for you guys? Would like someone just come up with a pitch, and you guys would kind of riff on it and try to figure it out? Yeah, I think it it it, uh, it varied a lot. Sometimes somebody would just come to the table with a script, and we would read it and maybe give notes, and we'd have a rewrite or two. Other times, somebody would be like, you know, I would pitch an idea, and we would bounce around ideas. And then other times, it would <clears throat> just be like, I feel like we had. It would be just something that was going on at the house, like, it, you know, there's a video called, I think, Dirty Dishes or something, and the, the kitchen was just a train wreck, and I think Dave was like, we should film something with this, and I'm like, okay, and I don't even think any of that was scripted, it was just, like, this dumb camera trick, and Kyle, like, magically making the dishes appear and disappear, and I think that was just two hours in the kitchen with the camera and see what would happen, so really, it was never very formalized, the process never was... You know, super tied down. A few times, I guess we did sit around a table with like and like hand out pages and stuff, but it was much more organic than that most of the time. Yeah, would you guys do like a like a table read or something? Sometimes I remember like specifically for a few sketches, there us like meeting at Beck's apartment and doing a table read. Uh, but it was so it felt very rare. I think it, there was a few points when we would decide we got to buckle down. And like really turn like churn this stuff out, or if we ever had like a live show, that would be a big time for us to like really get together and start writing. Um, but again, it's hard to say we did it wrong. But 
if we had been like Thursday night is writing night and everybody has to bring a new sketch and we read it, I don't know. I don't know where we would be and maybe we wouldn't want to be there anyway. So Yeah. Uh in the group, did you guys kind of gravitate to certain roles? I mean, I guess Dave was behind the camera, but like as the three of you guys, would like some of you act more or write more or play characters more? I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like um, Kyle Def Kyle Beck definitely became like character guys. Dave would you know only exclusively be behind the camera and would generate ideas and, and scripts at times. Um, but it was fairly other than when we started like splintering off and doing our own pages like it was fairly democratic which in a lot of ways was annoying because it just became hard to get stuff done which is why I started doing stand up because it was like I don't have to have three people agree with an idea I can just go do it uh but I think at some point we became in a good way we became a little precious with ideas and you know had this bar that we didn't want to that we wanted to overcome with each video so we, we shot a few videos that nobody's ever even seen because it would just after editing it it would be like this isn't this isn't as good as it should be mm. and we would just scrap it so i don't know we just we kind of just slowed down production plus then at that point we were all kind of getting busy with other things and it almost felt like Good Neighbor had done its job or ran its course, and and people would just ran out. Of it. We had no time to like really continue pushing it. So, yeah. What were those uh, those videos? Uh, or do you ever any of plans even... to ever release those ever? We've sh- <clears throat> one of them I always liked. I can only, there's at least one I can remember. It was me coming home from a date. Well, I think we've shown it at a live show or two, but it's like me coming home from a date and you find out that I have like the like a borrower's family that lives in my house okay. you know because like many guys that live in yeah. the in the walls but they're like horny little perverts and they like steal all my food and I hate them <laughs> <laughs> so it was Beck and Kyle as these little like three inch dudes uh, who were like kind of being sweet to my girlfriend and then like when she would leave would like say really nasty shit uh, and then I end up killing them Anyway, it never it never never came out. I always liked that one though, and we'll play it every so often at live shows when we get a dome. Um, and I forget there's at least two more that just were like d- didn't make the cut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what would you classify <clears throat> as like the hallmarks of like a good good neighbor sketch? For a while, I think it was always a twist ending. Uh, there's always a there's, a, I guess nostalgia is somewhat part of it. Um, kind of a surreal magic to it and and like a, a strange twist ending mm. yeah and uh, maybe timelessness if that's fair to say because we never wanted to do anything that was like super topical oddly enough we did one topical video and it was the only video that like went viral overnight we did some video I think this was just Dave and I like Beck and Kyle had like we're out of town for Christmas vacation and the whole Jamie Lynn being pregnant or Oh, I know this video. Yeah. yeah, She like it came out in the news and (laughs) Dave and I were like, We should shoot something about this and like called Beck and Kyle and we're like, Can we shoot this? And they're like, Yeah, of course. And we went out and just did this fake TMZ video that none of us are in. It's just this little girl we cast to be like Jamie Lynn Spears. Uh 
and it's my voice and Dave holding the camera. Um, like super topical, super like celebrity, like, I don't know, like nothing we've done since or before. And I think Perez Hilton picked it up and it went like super viral. And that actually kind of, then we got a management company through that. And then that, that yeah, that kind of opened up a lot of doors, but, but not even in the way you'd want it to. I mean, it put some attention (laughs) on us in a nice way, but I think it got like, I want to say like 4 million views in two days or something crazy. And, you know, like of those 4 million people, you can see, you can tell on YouTube who then clicked on like your other videos, like who watched that like two minute video and then clicked on, oh, what else is from these guys? And I want to say like, it was like 0.02% of that. (laughs) It was like some insane low, it was like a thousand people or something went like, oh, I wonder what else these guys do. (laughs) Which is so disappointing that like, that's our culture of consumption is just like watching something for two minutes and be like, next and moving on without having like, oh, I wonder what these guys are about. Yeah. So, but it put us on the map at least in terms of people realize that we may be making things that others would watch in a nice way. I I think even that video is not really... Like, I watched that video recently, actually. And even that video is not really... I mean, it's topical, but the whole joke of it is very evergreen. That's just like a little girl. Yeah, it's a little girl being silly. (laughs) She's a great actress. She is. She's. uh, I think she still is an actress, actually. Uh, We became friends with her family for a little bit and then lost touch, but... Yeah, and that's got a nice twist ending at the end. It's like, there's a baby driving a car. (laughs) (laughs) A baby drinking and driving, so... I think we also made a, a sequel to that. Oh, really? And I don't know if that ever got seen either. That was when we were with Maker and we had felt this pressure to like put out videos and we made... Yeah, we did make a sequel to that one. And we're like, this is too much. We're done. So, so when you were with Maker, they still wanted you guys to do Good Neighbor stuff. They weren't asking you to do different stuff. They wanted you to do Good Neighbor stuff, but they wanted to do it like their way. They, they suggested it and... But they weren't pushy about it by any means. But they were. Uh, they definitely wanted us to do good neighbor video. They were really stressing that a video a week would be good, and that each of us should have our own channels, and that each of our channels should push to each other's channels, and that we should be in their other talent sketches. And and eventually, it kind of became like a little like studio job. It felt like old school, like Warner Brothers lot, <laughs> yeah. where like. I remember they had this big building and then one day they bought the building next to it or expanded into it and it was just like the wild wild west like we ran in there and like found a little nook underneath the stairwell and we're like this is this is our office now like it was so bizarre and a really really fun time um and so we ended up like almost being staff writers for other people too like we'd write a lot of sketches or I'd write a lot of sketches at least for like Kasim and uh, Kasim G and Timmy DeLaghetto and those guys mostly Kasim because he was the guy we got along with the best Um, yeah it felt like this weird little it was this like weird little studio that was like scraping by I'm sure they were doing great (laughs) obviously (laughs) they were I think they were bought for 500 million dollars or something yeah I think Disney bought them Um, (laughs) but we were long gone at that point. Uh, but yeah, it was a good time. But no, they they never said do it our way. They would just be like, you should probably, you know, do a Casim video. So then at the end of that video, he can say, guys, check out Good Neighbor. Nice. Good Neighbor, good blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, and there was, it, there's certainly a little bit of that in, in like that period of our time, mm-hmm. of our time together. Yeah. Uh, for you guys, what was the difference between doing like a live sketch versus a film sketch? Like, would there be like a live sketch you'd do that would kill that you wouldn't film? Vice versa? Sometimes we'd film... It almost would happen the other way where we'd have a really good 
video or video that people liked uh, a lot. And then when we took a show on the road, we would do a stage version of it. And then it's like, it's great for the audience who's like, oh, I recognize this video and they're doing it live. Like that, it's always kind of is a fun, it's fun for us and it's fun for the audience. I can't think of the time, I'm sure it's happened the other way where we had a live sketch that we filmed, but it almost never, it never works out. I feel like there's, you know, I, I think we all have different sensibilities with the sketches. Like Kyle's stuff is definitely character driven, like almost first person, like found footage. Um, and I, my thing always was making these kind of essentially shorts, just like with the beginning, middle and end mm-hmm. of that are very cinematic and like, you know, just just too much production value for what it needs to be. Uh, and those things just obviously don't translate to stage. Right. Kyle, um, I just saw I just saw Kyle do a live show. He's promoting that movie, Brigsby Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's taken a bunch of those characters and put them into this live show, and it works out really well. So it's nice that uh, he's got that option. But um, yeah, I don't remember the question anymore. Uh, <laughs> oh, live, live to live to video, or, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I feel like the writing process is is much different. I feel like the writing process of the videos, a lot of times, is as we're shooting it. I mean, there'll be a script, and then as we run it and shoot it, like it becomes clear what needs to go or change. And the video, the uh, live stuff, kind of evolves over different shows. But some stuff we've done, we've been doing for so many years now that it's just like in our blood. But now there's this kind of element of I know what Beck's gonna say, and he knows that this is the part I could probably crack at, and I know that's the part he can probably crack mm-hmm. at. So now there's this element of like kind of playing with each other on stage in a great way. Yeah. I really want to, we really got to do some more live shows. It's just, it's so, it's so painfully hard to get us all in the same yeah. room. Didn't yeah. you guys have one in San Francisco that you had to cancel? Yeah. Yeah. We had like a weekend of, um, for a sketch fest yeah. and then, oh, I think it was, uh, the Brigsby Bear premiere. It was like uh, SNL and the premiere. Like they yeah, both, yeah. it was like two days that screwed us over and we mm-hmm. had to cancel. Yeah, that was a huge bummer. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how they dealt with that. Yeah. I think they had already sold tickets. Oh, wow. I'm sure they just refunded. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> uh, so how long had you guys been doing stuff uh, until you had the Comedy Central pilot? Uh, when was the Comedy Central pilot? 2000, two thir- 2013, 2012? I have no idea. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we had been doing... I guess since the day we met and started doing Comedus to that was about 10 years or maybe nine, eight or eight to 10 years. God, I have no idea. Um, and that came around, we were working with Gary Sanchez with, uh, Owen Burke, who was now at funny or die, which is basically Gary Sanchez. And we pitched him the show and he loved it. Uh, and God. And then we just developed it for a while and made this pilot that not a lot of people have seen as well. Sometimes we'll show that at a live show. Uh, and then Comedy Central said, we really like it. It's really weird. It was a presentation, essentially. So, like, it looks like it cost $50,000, and it did cost $50,000. Like, they gave us fifty grand, yeah. and we put fifty grand into it, and that was it. Um, and they were like, this is cool, but we don't know what this is necessarily. And we don't know, more importantly, we don't think our advertisers will know what this is at all. 
So why don't you do anything else you want to do with that will air? You do like a special essentially. We'll just give you an hour or whatever it is. And if it's great, you know, if it's something that can be made into a series, that's great. If it's just a one-time thing, at least you'll have aired it and we can, you know, go from there. And during that process, while we were trying to find showrunners, uh, like every those guys got picked up to go to SNL, and so that deal just got dissolved like right. immediately. And then a year later, I went out to New York, mm-hmm. so we were like so close. <laughs> so what, what was like when you're like thinking of a TV show for you guys? Are you just doing a sketch show, or is there like a more narrative to it? Or yeah, we wanted basically. A, a format that would allow us to blend to like take a narrative through s- sketches essentially mm-hmm. and I always thought the best concept we had for that was like I don't even remember what it was called but it was like us living in a house okay. I mean because that's what we were doing at the time it was very like self-reflexive but us living in a house that was just kind of like magic not ever stated so but like you know it would give us the ability that these weird things would happen that we would never comment on that's kind of another like, tenet of the sketches is like, you know, something will disappear and reappear and none of us go like, what the hell's going on? It's right. just kind of like, uh, that's, you know, it's everything is normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was just us living in a house, like kind of being shitheads. And through that, we were trying to use existing videos to kind of just as a proof of concept. So it'd be right. like, I and it, you know, it was sloppy for sure, but it'd be like me and Beck, like eating food or whatever and he's like I'm gonna go get Kyle and then he would go into a hallway and he'd cut to Kyle like Beck walking down the hall for like is my my roommate gay or whatever my gay roommate whatever it's called and then later Kyle's like I'm gonna make you guys dinner tonight and we're like that's great and then cut to like a unbelievable fun no cut to uh the hook sketch what's the damn name of the hook unbelievable dinner yeah imaginary dinner something I don't even know what it's called but that's (laughs) That's one of my favorite. Uh, and then we show that video, and then that Beck now has a goatee for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we did the goatee thing, because Beck's facial hair was always changing, so we do the goatee sketch. And then the next part of our the pilot presentation, Beck walks out of the kitchen and like peels a goatee off. <laughs> We're like, cool, we covered it. Now nobody will <laughs> question anything. Uh, that was an early presentation for MTV, actually. Uh, before the Comedy Central thing. The Comedy Central thing was like a weird late night show. Oh, okay. Yeah. That uh, that we didn't... I guess we showed some interview videos, but there wasn't a lot of sketch. God, I don't even know what's in that anymore. Yeah. Oh, so that you guys did a, uh, like a pilot presentation for MTV first? Yeah, we did... Um, what, uh, I don't even know... We did it with this guy, Rob Anderson, who's a buddy, um, who was a producer over there. And basically, he was. They, he, he said they just want like a framing device for these sketches. So we shot this like story of us living in this house, and we met this like homeless family, and we brought them in, and like cleaned them up, uh, and then like the night before the dad's job interview, uh, <laughs> we get him drunk, and he falls off the wagon, <laughs> and like goes on a bender, and we destroy their lives basically. Yeah. So within that, we like inserted three or four existing sketches. So we had kind of this weird loose narrative. Surrounded by these sketches that had nothing to do with the plot yeah. of the narrative. Yeah. I don't even know who has that anymore. I haven't seen that in years. Uh, but that was really fun. That was with uh, John Ennis and Ashley Johnson. He was the homeless guy and he she played his daughter that Kyle fell in love with. 
so you guys all audition for SNL, and then after a year, <clears throat> after a year, you go and write for it. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, did you like submit a a packet for that? Yeah, the first year, I don't even know if I put in a packet the first year. The first year we all auditioned, and then those guys got hired, and I was like, all right. And they said, well, they're still considering you as a writer. And so I started to put together a packet, which is kind of a specific packet they want. Um, and then eventually my agent was like, no, they, they can't hire anybody else, so you're just you're done for this year. So, okay, fine. And uh, then the following year, those guys looked like they were sticking around, so then they were interested in a packet, and I don't even remember what's in there. It's probably a f- maybe one or two sketches we never shot, maybe a live sketch that you know no, isn't available anywhere, and then you know they need like a commercial parody. They want a commercial parody, and they want like a like a political or topical sketch. Yeah. So I had to write a couple things for that. Um, yeah, packet, and like that was it, and then they just, they just called me. They called me and I was on the toilet in the in a Mexican restaurant, and uh, I told them to hold on for a second, <laughs> and then went outside to finish the call. Which Mexican restaurant? Uh, it's the one on Sunset by Guitar Center. I forget what it's called. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I also forget what it's called. Yeah, I got I was actually at Guitar Center buying like a music book, and I got a missed call, and then listened to it, and it was like, hey, this is so and so from uh, Saturday Night Live. Give me a call back when you can. And I was. And it wasn't Lorne. Yeah. And I and it wasn't like I don't know I don't know who else it wasn't Jimmy Fallon no. <laughs> so I, I felt like it was a, a negative call. Mm-hmm. So I called them back and was like, hey, sorry, I just missed this. Give me a call back. And then I went to that Mexican place and had like two margaritas because then I was just freaking out at that point. Oh, yeah. Just like, when are they going to call? What does this mean? <laughs> and of course they call right when I go to the bathroom. So yeah. Uh, so what was your schedule like at SNL? Um, the schedule is just give your entire life to the show (laughs) every week for, at times for, for weeks in a row. And then you're completely free for the hiatuses. Uh, it's like basically Monday from two to like eight or nine, you're there. It's really odd hours. You go and you pitch to the host and then you kind of hang out and plan your writing night. And then the next day, anywhere from... I mean, it's up to you, really, but nobody really gets in until, like, 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, oh, and, wow. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I do kind of know why, but... Uh, and you just write overnight. So I would usually get in, like, 2 or 3 and 2 or 3 p.m. and then write till 2 or 3 p.m. the next day, just kind of straight through. Wow. Turn the scripts in, sleep for about an hour, and then sit around for the table read, which would take, like, three hours. So in that, like... 24-hour period you're writing, how many sketches are you are you writing? I, it was kind of a... I think there was a time when I turned in, like, five sketches. And these you're also collaborating with some people, yeah. so, you know, you're, you're spreading around a little bit. I think I, tur- I turned in five or six sketches one time, and Eric Kenward, one of the, like, head writers, came over to me and was like, uh... Like, because they have to read all these sketches. So, however sketches go in, you know, a hundred something sketches go in, they have to pare it down to like forty-five to fifty. And he was just like, uh, "I think you just need to like do laser focus on one idea." He's like, "Because the shotgun approach or something." Like, it was kind of this insulting, like, "Don't turn in five sketches. Like, one or two is good." And there was a weird. There's always kind of a weird as a new writer. 
you know, folk have one or two ideas that you turn in. Don't do five. But also, like, if you're writing five, that's cool. You know, it was just a, kind of a weird mixed messages they would send. And truthfully, like, I didn't think, you know, I wasn't just turning in shit. Some weeks I just would have a bunch of ideas. And other weeks I would be, like, it'd be six in the morning and I'd have nothing and I'd be freaking out. So, <laughs> But that show taught me really how you just... If you just kind of put your head down and work, you can produce, con- you can produce anything. Like, right. there was no like, ah, I'm not feeling it today. You know, you it's like sink or swim. So you just have to like grind it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, that was an incredible lesson to learn. Just you got if it's got to get done, so you got to do it. Yeah. So after you turn in the sketches, then you uh, wait for like the table reads or. Yeah, I would sleep. Sometimes I wouldn't sleep, but if I had time, I would sleep in my office for like an hour, and then I would go shower in the company gym downstairs. Nice. Yeah. I thought I had a really good system, because a lot of people weren't showering, I didn't understand. Other people would go home at like like normal hours, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and sleep for a couple hours, but uh, I would shower, and then you'd sit around for the table read, so you get handed a packet of, I don't know, 50 sketches, and there was an a chance... And a fairly good chance that nothing that you worked on made it into the packet whatsoever. Right. That not, nothing's making it to the table read. But usually you'd have like one or two that you at least were a part of. Uh, sometimes you would have one that your name was the first name on it, which was a great feeling. And you sit around and there's this table full of food, this huge table full of food. And none of it's really good for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's always the same food, and it wasn't that good. Uh, and then the host comes back in and t- sits at the head of the table next to Lauren. And, like, very unceremoniously, Lauren just starts starts the table read. Yeah. starts reading. Um, and it was very surreal for the first few times. It is still surreal thinking back about on it. It's pretty nuts. I've heard uh, that he so he reads the stage directions. Yeah, I've heard that people purposely put less stage directions because he kind of reads it very slowly. Yeah, there's a few like tricks you kind of pick up. Huh. Uh, definitely, you have to trim all the fat from these sketches. Like five pages. It, the weird format of it, it's also you write in this weird word template. Like you don't use Final Draft. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a template they give you that never works. <laughs> Like, it's, it's just a word template. First of all, I was like, I haven't used words since college. Uh, and it's just, it's real gimmick or finicky. And it's always like, it kind of looks like a, you know, a, a script with like the character in the center. But there's just a lot of quirks to it. So, like, five, pa- it's easy to write like a 10, 12 page sketch within that format. Oh, I see. And that's way too long. Right. They won't even read it. So you have to like be super, like, I remember hours for like, this would be like, you know, we'd be up for... 20 hours just chain smoking cigarettes in an office with another writer like trying to get it down to five pages where we just like trim words like almost even like changing the spacing between letters you know like just pulling out every stop the other big thing is or I thought anyway was getting jokes to the top of pages like big reveals I thought should always be at the top of the next page because as you read it you're you're kind of ahead of the readers a little bit. You know, you're kind of constantly getting ahead and then listening to what they you just read and they're saying. So I always thought it was important that at a page turn, because everybody's kind of... It's like at a cliffhanger. This, yeah. yeah. So you set it up and then the page turn, everybody around the same time sees the punchline and I felt like it always got a better reaction. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, it's kind of a trip. That whole show is such a trip. <laughs> so, uh, so then they do the table read, and then uh, after that, do you get like notes back, and you like rewrite sketches? No, no notes, no nothing. So after that, everybody goes to their offices and hangs out and starts drinking. Okay. Because you have anywhere between an hour to two hours to, or more, before they put up what's going to go to the dress to, to dress rehearsal. Um, so from those 50, it goes down to, I have no idea anymore, 12, 12 to 15 maybe? That's probably a lot. Um, so everybody just starts drinking. It's really, that's like fun. Like we all get to like walk around to each other's offices and some people are like watching Top Chef and <laughs> and you start to get a little, little, a little boozy. Also, it's like 48 hours of hell is over and now you're just like, oh, work is done for at least three hours. Mm-hmm. And then one of the writers' assistants will walk down the hall and say, picks her up. And it's literally like like looking at the casting list of like a high school musical that everybody like, some people just race down there. Other people are like kind of cool and walk down there at their own leisure. And it's a bunch of adults surrounding a door. All the cast, all the writers surrounding like a door where they just posted up a list and where they've circled what sketches are going to dress rehearsal and which ones aren't at all, which ones will never see the light of day. And so at that moment, if you have nothing, you feel like you've wasted three days of your life. <laughs> You're destroyed. You feel like you won't last on the show much longer, uh, and you continue drinking. And if you have something, then you go straight to all the departments where you talk about... Because at that point, you kind of become the producer and director okay. of the sketch. So you would go, and they would say, what do you think? You know, They've already read the sketch, and they're like, we're thinking of building a set like this, and this is going to be the ski lodge, and this will be like the shoot. And you're like... No, I think what we need to do is have this here and here. And and it's weird because you're dealing with people who have been doing this same exact job for 20 years, 40 years, some of them, you know. And you're just this dumb kid who is also a little tipsy at this point. (laughs) So they are saying, well, we're going to have to do this and we can't have a ski lift because it won't do this. And I'd be arguing like, well, I think what if the ski lift is just this? And it's sort of like, no, we can't do that. Like, just fighting with these stage design, these, like, production designers and set builders until they would see, like, oh, yeah, we can just do that. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to have victories. You didn't always have victories in that room. But everybody was really sweet and wants you to get what you want. I don't know. That's the most exciting is going from, like, costume to, like, the set design to the light and props and all these guys. Mm -hmm. And if you have a sketch and then you're off to the races. So the next day, they take all the writers and split them into two rooms. Uh, mostly for time and just to get everything done. And half the sketches go to one room, half the sketches go to the other room. And that's the table read, rewrite session where they would reread it. We'd read through it. If like, you know, if Kyle had helped with a sketch or one of the other talent had helped with a sketch, they come up to that there at that point. I don't even know what they're during, doing during the day. I don't even know what they, maybe costume fittings? I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know what they're doing. Um, but that table read starts at 12 and, go, 12 and goes to about, or 1 even, goes to like 9 or 10 p.m., sometimes later, depending on the table. Uh, and you'd go through and pitch jokes and make cuts, and there'd be head writers at each one of those tables and trim, just kind of trim around. But every so often, the head writers would get called to do things, and then you just kind of sit around for a while. And it was just kind of like, that was a fairly, I always thought that was a very easy day. But I like tables. I like I like rewrites and tables. It's really fun. So, but it's kind of there's just it's not a lot going on. You're just kind of sitting around punching jokes, and then you order lunch, and it's fun. And are you having like normal sleeping hours at this point? Yeah, I guess so. Because usually everybody goes out Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Not crazy, but everybody kind of goes out, and 
So you'd get you could get home at like eleven or twelve or later if you wanted, and still sleep like ten, eleven hours, just because you'd have to be at the office till like one o'clock or one thirty even. So not normal sleeping hours, but yeah. at least you're getting the right amount of sleep. Mm-hmm. But also, often, if we had a video, if we gotten a video in, we would either have to shoot that Thursday, so I had to miss a lot of tables, or we would shoot like Thursday night, or a lot of times Friday night, like just all night shoots and then edit in the morning so very quickly you can have a shit schedule again yeah. but it's for the better it's like but you may have a video on the show so mm-hmm. that's important um and then friday is rehearsals i guess thursday and friday are both rehearsals where they just put it on its feet the sets are being built and you're there and you just kind of watch it and then you go and the director will show you his camera angles and you're just kind of you feel like you can't say anything at that point <laughs> and i usually didn't well, there's a director, right? Is he- yeah, he's like switching. He's, I mean, it's... I can't think of his damn name, which is like such a shame. Don Roy. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this really little guy, and he's just... It's like magic to him now, or to me anyway. It's like so automatic. He's just like two, two on one, one on two. Oh. Like, it, like he just is in this like control room, like this NASA-level control room, just switching cameras and he's got this book of scripts that he has this ineligible notes on it when to switch and everything and it's and you can see when it messes up and that's either a camera operator or you know I'm sure there's a f- bunch of failures across the board it's just it's so nuts that it even gets made mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like when it goes to the two shot and then it goes to the one shot and then it goes to the reveal of what the person's holding like that's just him in a room going like go to two one go to two pull up and fade like it's just the most insane thing to watch. So you're just standing in there behind him, hoping that nothing gets messed up or like an actor doesn't miss their mark. It's really exciting and incredibly nerve wracking. Um, that was my a big takeaway was just like the fact that this show gets made every week is mind boggling. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's so impressive, and it, it like I have such a, a a new respect for it, and I always did. But then it's like I wish everybody could live one week in that life and because it's just like, okay, I get it now. It's fucking – it's just magic. And like there's just so many things I can go – I don't know how many times I'd have a sketch in and we're air. It's like live to air at this point. It's past dress rehearsal and a producer would come up and say like, we need to shave two minutes off your sketch. So if you have a five-page sketch, you need to shave like two pages off this sketch – and you're literally everything is done with paper and pencil. So you're holding a copy, oh and you just have to X. There's a very specific way to X everything out, or you can write in new lines, but that's really dangerous because an actor has to relearn them. So you're just kind of taking out chunks, and then you have to run it to the script department girls, who they then distribute it to the right people, and then you have to run it to all. Like this is literally minutes before it airs, and you're like running into like Michael Keaton's dressing room and saying like this speech got cut and this speech got cut, and then we're doing this instead. And then you're running down the hall and handing the script to Kyle, and he's getting a wig put on, and you're like Kyle, just don't worry about any of the first thing that you only come in when the who the Wuzzle like walks in and does this thing, and you run into the the cards because you know all these uh, cue cards, and you read them, make sure that all the cuts are in there, and then it's like. Boom, you're, it's, then it's on air. I remember like yelling to Beck as he was walking onto the set, just like, we're not doing the first thing, and the last thing gets cut off. And he's like, what? He's like, okay. And then, boom, it's live. Like, wow. as they're doing a countdown for live to air. And that's why, like, you have to, they have to rely on those cards so much, the cue cards. 
Like, I always kind of was critical of, of the t- cast for, like, reading them. Like, can't you memorize your lines? But you can't. You're right. Because it changes literally right before every time. And if you, the cue cards is everything. Everything's going off the script. The way the cameras are cutting, you can't just chime in, you know? It's not like a stage show where everybody can kind of figure it out. It's like, you have to say your mark when this thing hits. And then you have to say your mark. And you have to say that line. And then somebody better walk in at this point, And ha- somehow, miraculously, it happens every week. It's crazy. It is so crazy. <laughs> Uh, so you go from writing sketches uh, on, for online and for Good Neighbor to like writing sketches for like at Saturday Night Live, like yeah. this big institution. Do you change like the things you're pitching for that, or a little bit? Because you started to pick up like what would fly there and what wouldn't. Uh, I tried not to, because I feel like that's just a slippery slope. So. I would certainly pitch a lot of dark stuff that like wouldn't make me laugh and most of it wouldn't go like and not as the, not that this is an insult or anything, but the stuff that they keep doing and the stuff that's the bread and butter over there is like celebrity stuff or like celebrity impression of thons and things like that. So any, and they're funny. They're really funny. It's like the same. It's like celebrity jeopardy. You know, that's like a, a hallmark on that show. And it's not there anymore because the guys who created it are gone and the guy who played him isn't on the show. But I just never had any interest in that, like, a celebrity pops up and, you know, somebody does their impression of Kate Moss and it's a weird Kate Moss one-liner and the audience laughs because, like, they mugged the camera. I just never had any interest in that. Like, I did this weird dark stuff of, like, a children's show, but you find out that the guy who hosted it doesn't have a children's show at all and instead was having sex with all the costumes while they were sleeping. <laughs> like, stuff that... That sketch almost made it to air and then they pulled the plug on it. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, it's on YouTube, but... Uh, um, oh, is that with Michael Keaton? Yeah, that's the oh, one. I've seen that, yeah. yeah. that was, like, my favorite sketch. And that's from the dress rehearsal that they filmed. Mm-hmm. So it's a little... It's got a little fad to it, but I was so excited about that and uh, did not go... So I don't know. I didn't. I don't know if I played ball the way I should have, but I'm also kind of happy that it's that I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Not because it's bad, but because I feel like the stuff I'm doing now is really exciting, and I get to be in it, mm. which is way different. Uh, I think you said before, like Good Neighbor was a lot of like evergreen stuff, like not a lot of topical stuff. Yeah, SNL is obviously supposed to be very topical. Right. Was that like a difficult uh, thing for you to try to write topical stuff? I again, maybe it's maybe it was a mistake. But I just knew I, I didn't follow politics as much or really at all. And I knew other people did. And I just knew that there was other people who were better at this than me. So I figured that wasn't going to be my role on the show. Mm. wasn't going to be po- like doing political, topical stuff, whatever was in the news. I just didn't follow it and I didn't really care for it. And I figured why jump that hurdle when there probably was somebody who was already really good at jumping the hurdles. Again, maybe that was the mistake. You know, and, and I'm sure there was a lot of failures and successes I had at that show that I didn't even realize, but um, I just wasn't interested and didn't care for it, and mm-hmm. so I just didn't do it. So you uh, you left after one season. What was like the decision behind that? Behind um, they actually, well, I didn't even leave. Essentially, they just didn't renew my contract. Right. Okay. Uh, which was a big shot because I thought I had a f- fairly good year. And all you really can do is compare yourself to other new writers. Um, but, yeah, it was just, uh, it was kind of a bummer. But the day I moved back to L.A., it's actually before I found out the news, um, I got a call from Danny Stesson, who 
created the show called Dream Corp LLC. And the summer previously, we had shot the pilot. I just auditioned and got cast in the pilot. And Danny, anyway, we shot a pilot and that was it. Then I got hired, went to New York. He called me and said, hey, this got picked up. We're going to do six episodes of this show for Adult Swim. And I want you to, I've changed your role. I want you to be in all of them. I was originally just a guest star for the pilot. Mm-hmm. So I want you to be in all of them and I want you to help me write them all. I was like, all right, man. I think we got to like September 30th to do this when I have to go back to New York for the show. He's like, all right, we'll do it then. We'll make it happen. Um, Would have never, ever happened. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like it was impossible. It was like two and a half months to write six episodes and shoot it. Like it would never, ever happen. But he was into it. Um, And so we started writing and probably a month later I found out I wasn't going. And it was like, that's cool. I like working on this better. And we worked... Our asses off, shot six episodes, turned them in, found out. I want to say maybe right when they started airing, it was pretty clear that we probably were going to get another season. And then the following fall, I guess, we started writing season two and got 14 episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we just wrapped shooting that. And that was the best. It's like Danny, myself, this guy Chris Rowe, Dugan O'Neill, Ahmed Barucha. supposed to be... Uh, Stephanie Aileen, but she got kind of like poached by Amazon. Just like a, a, the, a, the friendliest group of writers, <laughs> like working in this low pressure, like fantasy world where anything can really happen because it's this live action show that's basic, that has this fantasy cartoon element, this like rotoscope cartoon element to it. So anything can happen in the dream world and kind of anything can happen in the, in the real world too. Mm-hmm. It was a, I mean, it still is a dream. It's like, it's so fun. Yeah, is, is that freedom of being able to write, like, pretty much anything you want for that? Is that great, or is that kind of difficult in a sense? Like, you kind of struggle with, like, what you should be doing, or? Because it's only, it's a quarter, it's a quarter hour, mm-hmm. like, you have, there's really strict guidelines for time. So, and that's a huge bummer, because you'd have, we'd have these A and B stories going into but it has to be like a 12 to 14 page script so essentially it's a long SNL script at this mm-hmm. point and things just can't it just can't go in there so you're forced to be really efficient with what's happening and with these stories um, I don't think it's I, I see what you're saying it's really nice to write with with constriction with like you know this has to happen this happen, and this and I don't but I don't feel like even though it is so free it's really nice like like one of the characters turns into like a lizard in this in an episode you know like and that's okay i meet like uh i meet this what and what ultimately ended up being like a jim henson muppet like jim henson studios created this like garbage monster this like living breathing like monster that lives in the trash compactor and i like meet him and it's like unclear if he's real or not like and then i go on like a diehard-esque like journey through like the bowels of the building, like through the air vents. Like it's just, I mean, I'm doing the most fun stuff as an actor and writing these crazy scripts. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, the show is so gorgeous, and the rotoscope animation is so beautiful. And I don't think, uh, other than Good Neighbor, I don't know if there's anything I've been more proud of to be a part of. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I just hope, and everybody involved is incredible. Danny's incredible. Stephen Merchant is the producer. He's awesome. Uh, I mean, it's just like the whole team is this amazing family, and we I ju- we just finished like a week and a half ago, and I'm still like coming down from it, yeah. like trying to figure out what to do with my time. 
uh, so after you wrap like a season of a show, like after you wrap the first season and you aired it, and then you like got like critics response and fans response. So after you wrap the season, we film it. You thinking like, okay, I like this. this is what I kind of want to do for second season. But then you hear like the critics and stuff. Do you like change that uh, a lot or a little or like based on what they're responding yeah. to? <clears throat> I mean, there wasn't really. There wasn't too much like critical response to it, negative or positive. Mm-hmm. I, and everything that was was always very positive. I think it was so under the radar. Like New York Times named it like one of the ten best new shows. So then it was just like, cool, we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing. Um, but you, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's so calculated where it's like, you know, these people said they like this, so we should do more of that. But I think it's just you know what's working, like. A formula that seemed to work was my character, 88, like, just always getting fucked up. Like, in every episode, like, I get the shit end of the stick and something terrible happens to me. And that was, like, and nobody cares. And, nobody, like, none of the cast cares. So that was, like, something we knew we had to kind of continue. Like, that was our game, essentially. That was my game, essentially. And that Mark Proke's character, Randy, is, like, incredibly eccentric and, like, a, like hypersexual but like asexual at the same time like not not a defined sexuality just kind of sexual but like you're unclear if he's just making it up so like it's always fun to like put in markisms and mark proach is like one of the funniest guys alive and that john grice uh who plays dr roberts i know you just these characters define themselves and a lot of it is from what the actor brought to the uh to the page or to the stage and also what was put in the page but like john was so specific and he's such an incredible actor that you eventually learn how to write for him. Eventually, like, I think, and maybe season eight, it's, like, annoying and people start going crazy, but season two was so fun. We had, like, just started to, like, scratch the surface of these characters, and they had already created lives within us, so you could just kind of know, I don't know, it's almost, it was very organic the way it pumps out. Mm -hmm. And it's an 11 and a half page script, so it's, like, you can write it in a week. (laughs) Yeah. It was very exciting. And Adult Swim was pretty awesome. I mean, every note we got from them was... I I, I love the network. They, it was like either really smart notes or like a legal note, and that was it. It was never like we don't like this thing. Or like they were they were just like, I think a really early note we got from Walter, who's over at Adult Swim, was you're like we can see the formula or something like that. It was like you're you're doing okay, but we're starting to see the formula, and it was true. It was like a great note. We we kind of stuck from the very beginning. It was like this quote unquote procedural. That was like a new patient comes in, new patient goes under into the dream world, something fucks up inside the dream world, new patient comes out and is kind of better, but kind of worse too. And that was it. And that was like, we're doing house basically. It's like, we're doing a shorter version of house. Uh, And Walter was right. It's like, that became the formula. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we then it freed us up to like explore like Ahmed's character and and Megan Ferguson has this amazing character that we barely even got to really get to know in this second season. And, like, you know, we got to figure out the lives of these people all within this building just because they were like, you know, it's okay to don't be afraid to stop doing what's working, mm-hmm. was basically what they were saying. Yeah, they're great. great. Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up yep. with you uh, giving your thoughts on something I wrote. Mm-hmm. This is like a sketch idea, so I'm going to basically pitch you the sketch idea. Okay. So, uh, it's like, it's a theater, and like, the announcer says, thank you for coming out to Kate Blanchett Presents Hillary Clinton and One Woman Show. 
fortunately, Kate Blanchett has dysentery or something. That's not the point. Right. So the part of Hillary Clinton will be played by Daniel Burson. And it's this guy who's like, clearly doesn't want to be there. And he's delivering like these really like, feminist lines. And after like each line, he like turns to the crowd. He's like, I, I, I don't know why I'm here. It was a joke <laughs> that I'd be your understudy. We thought we'd cancel the show. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of how it goes in between each one. He just like does like an aside to the audience. Yeah, uh, I like that. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think what it's missing for me is like, why is this guy Daniel Burston mm-hmm. like doing the uh, being the understudy? But I think if it was like super specific, like it kind of reminds me of a uh, like a Tim Robinson and Zach Kanan sketch. These are two writers. Mm-hmm. At SNL, who now uh, created and wrote Detroiters. Oh, yeah. He's one of the guys in Detroiters. Yeah, one of the names. Sure. <clears throat> Those guys are like consistently would have the funniest sketches at the table I've yeah, ever yeah. heard. But um, all of his stuff is like kind of very pained, uh, like tortured individuals <laughs> who don't realize like how awful they're being. So if he, if it was like Daniel Burston to come out, I'm sure that's not his name. What's his name? Uh, Daniel Burston is a random name. Okay, Daniel Burston comes out and like starts saying these like Hillary Clintonisms and then like as an aside of uh yeah I'm really I'm guys I'm really really sorry like mm-hmm. I just I I was made the understudy cuz uh yeah I I lost 40,000 I lost 40,000 dollars <laughs> at the track and I, you know I because of that my wife was punishing me like if you just give it some okay, yeah, specific yeah. or like just the weirdest version of why he's there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think then it informs everything he's doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's funny. That makes sense. Yeah, it's great. Uh, thanks for coming out. Anything yeah. you want to plug? Uh, what do I want to plug? Um, I don't know. I've been... Uh, I, I got the next couple of months off, so I'm going to be touring around doing a lot of stand-up. So oh, awesome. I guess you can just follow me on Twitter at Nick Rutherford to hear about some shows. Um Check out Dream Corp LLC on Adult Swim when it comes out. I think the first six episodes of season two are going to air in October, which is really exciting. And then, uh, I, guess, I don't know, that's it. And then I just wrote a movie that we finished shooting, and it's coming out. Who knows when it's coming out? But oh, that's awesome. It's called Unicorn, so hopefully I'll come back on and we'll talk about that process. Oh, cool, that yeah. was nuts. All right, yeah, thanks for coming out. Yeah, thanks, Alan. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week! Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.